0: You people had therapists?
1: It's very stressful being an other, Jack.
0: Welcome to Tessa Watches Lost, monkey off my backlog, second weekly podcast where one of us reacts to a TV show that the other has forced us to watch. I'm your host, Sam, and with me is Tessa, the hume to my Faraday, my constant.
1: Hello. I know what that means now.
0: How long have we known each other?
1: A while.
0: I've been waiting.
1: To call me your constant?
0: Much like Desmond. That's kind of romantic. Yeah. I like that. Okay. I thought it was. After a week off, we're back. This week, we're talking about the season four episodes, The Constant and The Other Woman. Before we get into the Q&A portion of this podcast, and I know what you're thinking, this entire podcast is a Q&A portion. But before we get to that, the constant, this is many people's favorite episode.
1: It's a good episode of television. Just like if I didn't know anything else about Lost and I saw this episode, I would think this was a good episode.
0: Lindelof and Kuse themselves have said that they think this might, in fact, Their favorite episode. I know that a lot of us have a pretty good handle on what a constant is, if from nothing else from watching this episode. But in science and engineering, constants are very important, right? When you're trying to solve a problem, you want as few variables as possible. And without some sort of constant, it becomes very difficult, if not impossible, to solve the problem. And so in this episode, we have Desmond trying to assure himself that Penny is his constant. And that just doesn't mean the person you love or the person who loves you or your ride or die or your one true person. It doesn't, it's more than that. It is, as this show is going to become increasingly more concerned with. The ideas of being unstuck in time and place, spinning out of control, not knowing where your place is. And what this episode tells us is that for Desmond, Penny is the person who roots him in this world. And so that's not a, it's not something to be taken very lightly. As I said, in this episode, Desmond becomes unstuck in time after Lepidus briefly goes off course. During the episodes, Desmond oscillates between his military days and today. What did you think about this approach to time travel?
1: I was going to say, is there a comparable version of this in some other form of pop culture? I've been like really trying to think about people unstuck in their own personal history. The closest I can get is about time because his version of time travel is Like he's in his own body, but he's obviously a lot more deliberate about the way that he time travels.
0: So I'm going to have to reference good old Captain Bacula here. Uh, And I'm going to I'm going to mention Quantum Leap. I know you haven't seen it. I have not. I was old enough to have seen the premiere episode of that show, which is a real thing that happened. Are you familiar with the premise of Quantum Leap?
1: Is he in his own body, like his his past self's body when he goes back? Okay. No. I thought he was for some reason.
0: No. And that is a key difference from what we're talking about here with Desmond. But So on Quantum Leap, Bacula's character has invented a sort of time machine. And he uses it and he finds himself occupied in somebody else's body. And the premise of the show is something has happened that has had a a, a rather negative effect on on things some are bigger than others and what his job is essentially is to fix that wrong or make sure that the wrong doesn't happen and then when he does that he leaps out of that body and then leaps into a new one and that's the setup of every episode and so as the the beginning introduction tells us that he hopes that the next leap will be his next leap home cuz he's not in control of it he does have after a after a uh, fashion a constant dean stockwell's character is like his his Clarence his guardian angel who comes and smokes a cigar and punches his little calculator star trek thing it's a great show by the way i hear they're rebooting it i hope they do i enjoyed it the first time
1: so this also this idea of a constant also really reminded me of Interstellar, the whole conversation that Matthew McConaughey's character has with a- Anne Hathaway's character about love and how like we tend to think of love as a subjective thing that has no bearing in science, like right it's a feeling versus like objective truth, but she points out that it does have a lot of power. And so that's something that that's something that she points out it's something that draws people together, and that in itself can affect the time differences that they experience as they're going on in their journey. And we're supposed to infer that when he is in the tesseract, when he is, you know, changing things in the past or observing the past as a space, that he's able to observe specifically focus in on his daughter in the past because of his love for her.
0: And I think that's one of the things that I like about. Um, time travel narratives like Interstellar, because they do time travel isn't real. <laughs> it's it's if anything, it's the ability to move forward, not backward. So this kind of, I mean, it's just not a thing. So, you know, we've discussed previously on Monkey how this would work if it could. What the what the science of the day tells us in terms of quantum. Uh, quantum theory and things like that that is used for interstellar. But we're making stuff up as we go along. So why not include these bigger ideas? It's a lot like what Carl Sagan did with Contact, which we were talking about earlier today, which is the idea that we are the only ones who can save ourselves. And we we don't do that by looking outward. We do it by looking inward and learning more about ourselves. So if it's good enough for Carl Sagan, it's good enough for you. Me, and everybody else.
1: Although, to your point about if time travel were to work, it would be towards the future, not towards the past.
0: According to Einstein.
1: Desmond's consciousness that travels is into the future. Like, the Desmond that Mm -hmm. they're talking to on the boat is the one from the military boot camp. It's not the Desmond that we've been talking to that's been through all of these things on the island. So, we don't see that Desmond until the very end of the episode.
0: Well, and if you, if you want to engage a little metaphysics here, which I don't, but I will anyway, it, it makes more sense for a consciousness to hop out of time than a body to time travel. Because as you know, one of my issues with time travel is the idea that there's a finite amount of matter and it degrades. You can't go in the opposite direction, which is interesting. In Quantum Leap, they solve it. By saying that the person's consciousness that, that Sam's leaped into, it is Sam, the consciousness that Sam's leaped into is like in some sort of waiting room, some extra dimensional waiting room. Like they thought about that.
1: Is that where Desmond is? The present uh, yeah, Desmond? Yeah,
0: I mean, that, that that would be the thing. But the-
1: See, and this is my problem with you know that I don't believe that consciousness and bodies can be just be divided so easily like that. Obviously, I'm suspending my disbelief. This is still a good episode. That's not something that bothers me while watching this episode. But that is my question, is where does the... Present day Desmond go if that's the case. Like, can it's he the be so leap w- right. Waiting room, but but yes. can he be so easily separated from his body? That would be my question if I was going to really push into that.
0: So the the yeah. other big, you know, when you mentioned Interstellar and talked about that, uh, you, it's hard to talk about that without talking about Slaughterhouse Five, which is I you know I don't like that. Book. That
1: is another unmoored in right. time because he is going backwards and forwards.
0: But see what what we really get from that understanding of, um, fifth dimension space. You know, we are in fourth dimension. We are in four dimensional space. We can perceive three dimensions, right? So when Vonnegut talks about that fourth dimension, you know, the, the creatures, uh, you know, they, they, they point out that basically our view of time is linear and that is correct in that it's all we can see but it's incorrect in the idea that that's all that's there and so the idea of his consciousness leaving his body and moving around is a very three-dimensional idea it's not if we were able to jump up and perceive that fourth dimension we wouldn't see it the same way that's the whole point of uh you know what billy pilgrim learns and that would be the very same thing so it doesn't contradict the idea that that um, that, that body and mind are inseparable, I should, which I don't necessarily agree with with you. But if I did, that's what I would say. So it's interesting.
1: Yeah. No, I I find this all very fascinating because yeah, time travel. I find very interesting, but I almost don't view this as a time travel narrative. It is. I want to make that very clear. It is a time travel narrative. He does bring information from the future back to be able to tell Daniel Faraday what frequency he needs to put the machine to. So it's not just that he's experiencing two times. It is that he is actually traveling between two different time periods and is able to manipulate those two time periods while he is there. However, to me, although I think that that's interesting, It's more to me, it's more interesting to me to think about the character, how much he's changed as a person between the character that we meet from the boot camp and the character that we know now, but also to think about the way that he experiences the shift between the two. Because at first I didn't think this was a time travel narrative. I just assumed that he was like remembering something until I realized that it wasn't the same Desmond.
0: I think the show is leaving the question open about whether this is a time travel narrative or not. It's a question we will revisit.
1: It's just so hard to know on this island whether it's real or if it's a vision, although the episode wants us to think that it's real because at the end of the episode, not only does he talk to Penny, who remembers the information that he gives her back in the past, but also we get to see Daniel Faraday's notebook where he says, if anything happens... Desmond Hume is your constant. So the idea is is that we're supposed to think this was real. This did happen. He did bring this information to the past. Well,
0: the show has established to us in multiple different times that, you know, out of body, Charlie's out of body experiences were real because they impacted other characters. X has to happen. So Y has to happen. You know, those kind of causal time loops, which we'll talk about more in a minute. But Faraday really is the MVP of this episode uh, the payoff at the end of the episode, I like the idea of Penny being Desmond's constant. But what really wins the episode for me, because that's nice, that's nice. But I was already sold on the fact that they were OTP, right? Or, oh yeah,
1: it's it's but, hella romantic.
0: But I, in a in a not in a platonic way, I think Faraday's journal. Is a more romantic gesture in a platonic way,
1: a romantic gesture it's in a platonic guy love, way. Tessa, Gila, uh, um, no, queer, I are mean, platonic is what you're saying. I,
0: I think so. But my point is, like that, that's why those two are my favorite characters,
1: Desmond and
0: Daniel. Faraday. Yes. Daniel,
1: yeah. I thought it was also. You can't
0: not like Hurley. I mean, you can't. Uh, have, that's you true. Can't, I mean, you just it's can't. True. Even Sawyer loves Hurley. I mean, come on now.
1: I do want to disagree a little bit about Faraday being the real MVP of the episode, though, because I think a really close second, if not the MVP of the episode, is Saeed, just for the fact that not only does he just take all of this in stride when Desmond freaks out and doesn't remember him or where they are or anything, but he's on Desmond's side. Like He's very committed to being on Desmond's side through all this. Not only does he just take this all in his stride, but we get to see Manny Pixick- Manny Manic Pixie. Manny Petty. Manic Pixie Dream Saeed. Once again, when he's magically able to put the radio equipment back together after it's been sabotaged. He's like, just give me a couple minutes.
0: Seriously, I just need time, okay? <laughs> he's great. He's great. I'm glad. I'm glad you brought that up.
1: I am also very suspicious of all these people on the boat. Like
0: they and, and they
1: immediately there... react to all of this in a way that is just really really suspicious really... like i'm sorry that doctor was going to like institutionalize desmond on this boat like a field institutionalization
0: <laughs> yeah i mean they're they're not supposed to be i mean there's there's no you'd have to be a real chump to believe anything about these people
1: although lapidus seem to be on their side too so Maybe he isn't cut from the same cloth as the rest of them. Maybe he has his own reasons for being there.
0: I mean, if you can't if you can't see the level of affection that I have for Frank Lepidus, I I mean, come on. I I think I pretty much spoiled that for you. I he's, mean, he's he's one of us, dude.
1: Besides Miles, the people in the helicopter, so Charlotte Faraday and Lepidus, all three of those people seem to be okay people obviously we don't know very much about them at this point and some of it's getting into the next episode but all three of them seem like they're genuinely trying to do the right thing i don't know if that's true of the people on the boat
0: i mean i don't think it is i
1: I don't either but my point is it's interesting to see like the disconnection between these characters that obviously we like and who are trying to do the right thing and the people that they Over with, and this might get back to Lance Reddick's character in the beginning. Remember earlier in the season where he was talking to Naomi's character in the flashback, and he's like, You're gonna take these people there, and she's like, But they're amateurs, they don't know what they're doing. I I really wonder how long they've been with these people on the boat, and if they're being set up in the same way that the people on the island are being set up.
0: Hard to know, at least at this point. Um, okay, so before we get too far away, I I do want to say, so you know, once Desmond comes back, and we also get Eloise in this episode. Eloise. Eloise, the genius mouse who could, yes.
1: She time traveled. She was a good mouse. She
0: was like she was like Einstein in Back to the Future, which brings me to my point. For all the references to Back to the Future that we make, it's clear. Faraday is Doc Brown. Oh, yeah. This is Back to the Future, where you go back to a previous version of the person who's done all this science and say, you told me, right? Yeah. The difference is, when Marty comes to Doc's house in 1955, who already has a drawing of the flux capacitor? Doc does. The, the falling off the toilet, hitting his head, and making the sketch has already occurred. What Marty's doing is telling him it works. Doesn't tell him how. I mean, eventually. But the point is, he presents him with a time machine and says, you know how this works. It takes this amount of energy to make it work, but he doesn't tell him how to make it.
1: Right. And that happens in this last episode, too.
0: Right. This is, as we've talked about it, you can call it the free lunch paradox, the grandfather paradox, the bootstrap paradox. It's basically the or the work paradox. Basically, now Daniel does not have to do the work of calibrating the machine, except, except given the fact. So we're back to constants and variables again. There are two variables in the test that Daniel's running. And uh, future Daniel or present Daniel for us has told this past Daniel what the solution to the problem is. It is a bootstrap paradox because it's a shortcut. But if you reasonably believe that Faraday would have gotten there eventually, because the variables are finite, you know, I don't know how many we were gonna have to die, but you know, that's a that's a separate ethical issue, trolley problem. All the Eloises on the...
1: On the trolley tracks.
0: Yeah. yeah. But but the thing about it is is that you could argue that it's not a bootstrap paradox because he'd already done uh, the engineering and the science that would allow this, this technology to eventually be completed. This is really more of a shortcut.
1: Well, and knowing Faraday, he probably took the whole thing apart and figured out why those particular frequencies and Hertz's and energies all work together so he probably actually did do the work to figure out why it was the way it was
0: right he and just,
1: he didn't just write it down and forget about it
0: i mean and and i'll just say this now and it shouldn't really be any surprise to you though in all this discussion the island cheats so. It's true.
1: Well, I also kind of want to know more about Faraday just in general, but I also want to know what experiments he did after Desmond left. Like, how much more does he know about time travel? Because he's the one who tells Lapidus, you go exactly the way that I told you to go, which Lapidus doesn't do. So I am very interested to know how much more work that he's done on this problem.
0: Stay tuned. All right. So we'll come back to we'll come back to this in future episodes. We'll come back to Charles Widmore later on in this episode, but we've already talked about Saeed, so let's check in with some of the characters who are still on the island in these episodes. So first, we have the odd couple, Locke and Ben, just having a good old time together. Uh. over. In, and this is really treading over into the other woman, but Ben... Locke basically says to Ben, tell me what you know. Ben says, I'll tell you if you do this. Locke says, how do I know that I can trust you? Ben says, you don't. Locke does it.
1: Once again, Again. Ben has talked his way out of trouble. For some reason, Locke cannot let go of the idea that Ben knows something that he wants to know.
0: So if if we are looking at this, in a binary good and evil situation. Who is more eviler? Oh,
1: Ben, for sure.
0: Okay. Because
1: Ben is doing it out of just pure, like manipulative, see if he can do it kind of energy. He only looks out for himself. Locke is at least trying to protect the people around him. But I see them both as pretty, pretty dang evil. Like they are both Engaged in a power struggle over this island. And I don't think either of them care very much about who gets hurt in the process. Locke perhaps cares a little bit more than Ben. Okay. About some people, not right. everybody.
0: Okay. Who specifically, who Claire. D- oh, he likes Claire? Oh, yeah. Okay. No, he's All very
1: right. protective of Claire and that baby.
0: The baby. He
1: doesn't care about Kate. He doesn't care about Hurley,
0: which is terrible. How can you not care about Hurley?
1: I don't know. That, that to me, I mean, is just an immediate sign of evil.
0: We we don't get a lot of Hurley this week, but we will get to that uh, on the on the beach side of the island. Just we get a quick look in on Sun and Jin. Jin's learning English.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's not a whole lot here beyond just the brief little exchange where Jin gets to say in English, you know. Were, was this important? Basically, yeah. uh, I mean, like they seem like they're doing okay. I am concerned about Son's pregnancy. Uh, that was brought up a little bit in the episode, not specifically her pregnancy, but like the fact that pregnant women do die on this island. So, you know, it's one of those things where they haven't really talked about it this season, but it is there in the background. Every time I, you know, see those characters, I'm like, hmm, I wonder when that storyline's gonna advance itself a little more.
0: Right. You know, when I was putting together the notes for this episode, it, it's interesting that characters are almost always in pairs in these two episodes. That's true. And, and so that's so I bring up Sun and Jin because, of course, they're a, a already pair. Um, our other pair, our next pair, is Charlotte and Kate. You know when you have two magnets and you try to make them touch and, and they don't attract, they, like, repel each other? That's what this is.
1: Yeah. I mean, like, it is interesting that Kate, because, yeah, I actually said to you, I think when we started this episode, I'm just like, where's Kate? Didn't she start off for this camp like two episodes ago? But like, she runs across Charlotte and Faraday, apparently up to no good. And Charlotte, I don't think makes a very good impression. She knocks Kate out. And when Jack finds her later, she's out of it for a couple minutes. Like, she hit her pretty hard with that gun.
0: Charlotte doesn't play.
1: Charlotte does not play.
0: That's right. Do not step into she her way. She is web. not
1: just an anthropologist or whatever it is that she is.
0: She is not just a stand-in for Christian author C.S. Lewis.
1: <laughs> I mean, C.S. Lewis did go to war, so. Yeah. <laughs> to the wars.
0: <laughs> to the wars. Now, Jack and Juliet.
1: You know, Ju- we talked, I think, last episode about how Juliet hasn't had a lot to do this season She's just kind of been a background character. And so I was actually pleasantly surprised to find out that not only was this a Juliet episode, but that the flashbacks were, in fact, flashbacks and not forwards, flash forwards. Because as much as I like the flash forwards more than I like the flashbacks, Juliet is a character that has so many questions around her that it's always nice to get some of those questions answered.
0: Right. So, of course, Juliet is the, quote-unquote, other woman- in a love square that involves married couple Goodwin and Harper and I'm here to ask you what is marriage on a strand on a deserted on a what is marriage on an island where you can't go anywhere else so again Goodwin Harper Juliet who you know if we're using the other woman Paradigm here steals Harper's man away from her, you know, whatever, free will and all that. But then the fourth side of this square is Ben. Ben, does Ben feel love or so, is this something else?
1: I don't think it's love. I don't think Ben is capable of love. But there's a lot to unpack here, starting with the fact that Ben. Harper said, okay, actually, you know what? No, I'm going to start with Harper. Is Harper a real therapist? Because she does a lot of really unethical things in her sessions with Juliet. And like, to me, this, what she's doing here sounds more like the type of therapist that actually does like indoctrination and brainwashing, like where she's like kind of break chipping away at Juliet so they can build her up later. That seems to be what she's doing more than actual therapy. She's really mean too. So, you know, there's that.
0: Are Are you saying that people in the medical field aren't mean no, to their patients? No, they
1: absolutely are. It's just like what she's doing is not like any kind of therapy I have ever seen. Anyway, whatever. I, I don't care about Harper, actually. It's just that was the one note that I wanted to make. When it comes to Ben... Ben is obsessed with Juliet and it is we've seen hints of this before. This is the first time that's really confirmed that it's of a romantic nature before it just kind of seemed like could be romantic, could be something else. It could just be that fact that Ben wants to control everyone around him. But Harper gives us a new piece of information this week when she says that Juliet looks like her. Now, I would assume that the her that she's talking about is the little girl that we met in Ben's flashback, the girl that he grew up with, who I assume is also his wife who died, who was also Alex's mom, supposedly, her adopted mom. Anyway, we don't know much about that story yet, and I assume we will get to know things about that story eventually. Sure. Sure. Maybe. I don't know. But the fact that Juliet supposedly looks like her, I think that, first of all, if you are wanting to be with someone because they remind you of someone else, that's not love. And second of all, I think this is... That's not love.
0: That's the Alfred Hitchcock film, Vertigo.
1: Yeah, that's, that's something else. That's obsession. And I also think that this is a really extreme version of Ben's need to control everyone around him, right? He needs to manipulate people. I mean, he's like a classic cult leader. He needs to manipulate people. I don't want to diagnose anybody, so I'm not going to use the word narcissism, but that is kind of the area that we're supposed to believe that this character exists, right? He has this need to have everyone do what he says and to play these mind games with everyone. And it seems to be pulled up to a fever pitch with Juliet because of his obsession with the woman that he was in love with who has died apparently. So like Juliet has this real moment with Jack, where she says, like, you should like stay away from me because Ben is gonna win and you don't want to be anywhere near me. Which, by the way, brings up the other thing. Is Juliet the other woman in a different love triangle? The love triangle between Jack, her, and Kate, or even a love quadrangle because we have Sawyer thrown into the mix too. I mean we get the kiss between Jack and Juliet at the end, but it was just a couple episodes ago that we see in the future, Jack confessing his love to Kate. So to is, me- Is Jack
0: the other woman?
1: No, I think Juliet <laughs> is in both situations. I don't know if she's realized it yet with Jack and Kate, but that's what she is.
0: Interesting.
1: Yeah, I think that we're supposed to compare these two love squares.
0: Okay, so all right. I was going to ask you, what are we supposed to make of this? So that's a that's a really good answer. Of course, you stole my line. Because once we move up to the present, we get the now kiss.
1: Right. I mean... And,
0: and we we see that and we're like, oh, I don't know.
1: Yeah. They play it like this. It's this really romantic moment. But it's like, but,
0: but later he tells
1: Kate that he loves her. So oh, how much can we really invest in this relationship?
0: That's tough. It's interesting, too, on the heels of, of The Constant. On the heels of that yeah, that's episode. that's true. This is... This is love. This is not.
1: Well, I feel really bad for Juliet because her ex-husband was an asshole.
0: Yeah, he was. And he got hit by a bus. He got hit
1: by a bus like he deserved.
0: Yeah, he did.
1: And
0: We are pro getting hit by bus if you're a terrible person. We won't do it. But we're not going to be sad when it happens on a fictional television show. It's
1: true. The next person that she's with is married and then dies. Which, again, how much can you invest in that relationship knowing that Goodwin is dead in the present? This other person is obsessed with her and won't let her be happy with anybody else because he considers her to be his property. He even yells, you're mine, at her, which is like a really creepy moment. I mean, he plays that really well, by the way. I have to just say, as a villain, like, that was really well done. And then you have Jack, who is probably in love with somebody else and who definitely has a savior complex. I have known guys that have savior complexes before. They are dangerous because he only is interested in her because of her sad story and because Ben wants her and because she's been stuck in all these situations. It's not real love. So for me, I just feel bad for her. Like, why? Why does she keep getting involved with men who just mistreat her?
0: So the the time on the island is like Speed the first, in which the high tension of the situation bring in Sandra Bullock's character and Keanu Reeves's character, and then the future on the mainland is like Speed two colon cruise control, which I have not seen, but I've heard that in that movie Sandra Bullock reiterates what she said in the first movie, which was. These these kinds of forman- uh, romances that are forged in this kind of situation never last. So, right, kind of maybe I'm joking, but it seems a little like that.
1: I just feel like she does actually feel like she's getting somewhere with Jack, and Jack doesn't have enough intros- introspection to know what he's doing. <sighs> anyway, I do appreciate the fact that. Ben, who is a very good villain, is still manipulating people outside of his, outside of Locke. Like, he's the one who sends Harper to Juliet to tell her to go kill Charlotte and Faraday. And she almost does it.
0: She says that. Right. I mean, where has she been?
1: Where are all the others? How do
0: we know she's not just another ghost?
1: That's true. And we don't know what happened to the others after Ben left them. Right. But we do know that. Most of them are native to the island.
0: Right. Let's let's talk a little bit about what we don't... Another thing that we don't know that we know a little bit more about that shows good at this. We still don't know, but we know a little bit more about what we don't know, which is really nothing. Charles Widmore.
1: It is revealed that Charles Widmore is, in fact, the person behind the boat and the expedition.
0: Okay, so... That is the first big piece of information. There are three, so let's... Number two is, in the constant, Desmond has a scene with Charles, who is at an auction bidding on a journal from Gasp, somebody who was on the Black Rock.
1: The ship from season two.
0: <laughs> Anything on that? Is that Wait, just, is
1: it season two or season one? The know. ship's shown up a season, couple times.
0: Season three.
1: Yeah, a couple times. Yeah.
0: Where Art died. Is this anything?
1: I mean, it's hard to know. Is this an Easter egg? Has he just been obsessed with this island for a while? I mean, Ben says it, but how much can we trust Ben? I
0: think, if anything, that's what this scene tells us.
1: Right. Like, he, he wants to figure out stuff with this island. I don't buy Ben's answer to Locke when Locke says, why? And he says, oh, well, because you could make a lot of money off of this. People flock to see a mold that looks like the Virgin Mary. I don't buy that. That's not a good answer.
0: Welcome to Jurassic Park.
1: Yeah, I feel like it's more of a like I mean, I think it has more to do with the stations and the like magnet energy, radioactive stuff than it does with tourism.
0: Right. So that's that's the glimpse that we get in The Constant. In The Other Woman, we don't see him, but we are told that Daniel and Charlotte have been, you know, so we know they have been sent by him. They have been sent by him to go into the Tempest station. And this is the reason why the gas masks. They've been taken into the, they've been told to go into the Tempest station to render this gas inert. Now the question is, do we trust them? Does Jack trust them? Does Kate trust them? Does Juliet trust them? Jack says, don't care, right? Kate seems to not. Juliet knows how evil Ben is, so she seems to trust because the order was to go render the gas inert. Like, they're an advance team, right? They're the expendables, basically, being sent in to try not to get, like, gas to death by Ben, which is what Charlotte and Faraday tell them, you know, after they, after they do the thing and basically say, He has done this before.
1: Which he has. We've seen that in a flashback.
0: Right. So is this truth or is it not truth?
1: Well, and see, this gets back into what I was saying earlier. I tend to believe that it is true, but true for Faraday and Charlotte. I don't know if it's actually true for the people on the boat. Like, I don't know if Faraday is being manipulated and being told part of the information, not all of the information, Like, it it really goes back to how much do Faraday and Charlotte know about Charles Widmore and his intentions on the island and what they actually plan to do? Because maybe they don't know. Maybe they are really expendable. Maybe they're being played just like everybody else is. We do know that Juliet will side with anybody who's against Ben.
0: Well, and what's interesting about Juliet, too, is that she was still more or less loyal to Ben even after the initial plane crash, even after even after knowing what happened to Goodwin.
1: That's fear though. Well, sure. I don't think she thought well, anyone could go up against Ben until Jack proved that he could.
0: Okay. But you know, the thing about it is is that this is something that's interesting about Faraday and Charlotte is that even if they don't think that Whidmore is on the up and up completely, right? Like even if they feel like something's being withheld, what would it take for them to side with these other people? It's kind of the same thing that Juliet went through in a way. Right. Even if you even if you don't trust your employer, you know, that doesn't mean you're just gonna trust the people on the island who've been running around doing stuff, right?
1: Although Faraday seems more likely to trust them than Charlotte does. Like he wants to tell them things and, yes. he, ke- and he keeps letting secrets out.
0: Daniel Faraday, shrewd judge of character and <laughs> other things, non-science.
1: I'm just saying like, he seems like he is more trusting or at least more trusting of Jack and crew than Charlotte is. Right. Yeah. Although neither of them tell them what they're doing when they go for the gas.
0: True. Which I feel like is kind of a mistake because Juliet would right. have been like, oh, yeah, yeah, you could do that.
1: Yeah, it is interesting that Juliet characterizes it as a war between Charles Widmore and Ben, which kind of sheds a little light on the Said episode from the beginning of the season because it seems like Ben, by that point, is waging war right back, but not on the island.
0: Right. And so what's interesting is that, you know, it was Jack versus Sawyer, and then it was Jack versus Ben, and then it was Locke versus Jack, and then it was Locke versus Ben. But we're being told it's actually Ben and Charles Widmore. The castaways are unimportant. They are pawns. pawns. Our main characters, all of them are pawns.
1: Yeah, basically that is what we're being told.
0: Which must suck for Locke, who thinks he's the main character.
1: Yeah, Locke doesn't know anything about this yet. (laughs) I mean, he knows about Charles Widmore, but he doesn't know about all the machinations. Although, we're supposed to believe that Ben does tell Locke about who his man is on the boat. I am curious to know who that is. Is it Lapidus? I don't know. We haven't gotten to know any of the others really yet.
0: Well, I guess that means, unfortunately, we'll just have to keep watching. But before we end today, I promised we have to talk about the horseshoe playing Hurley and Sawyer. We get a very brief scene of Hurley and Sawyer at the end of these two episodes. Hurley is schooling Sawyer at horseshoes.
1: Is Hurley just good at all games? Yes. Just all games, Hurley's good at them. Yes, or at least better than Sawyer.
0: You always pick Hurley to be on your team. <laughs> always, they are there for comic relief, pretty much, and and just for that last, you know, Lost likes to go out on a stinger, right? And so they they have Hurley and Sawyer reacting to Ben do 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 see y'all at dinner
1: i mean it's like a moment from a horror movie though like i mean he tortured sawyer and has been pretty horrible to the rest of the people too so i mean it's like seeing like oh yeah he's out now and he's successfully manipulated Locke because sawyer doesn't trust him i don't think sawyer ever will
0: he's still charles manson but he's our charles manson
1: see i don't think sawyer sees it that way
0: he does not I just want you to know in the notes, it says Hurley and Sawyer agog.
1: It's <laughs> a toot laugh. Laugh toot.
0: Final thoughts on this episode. Are you also agog?
1: Oh, my final thought on the episode is I think it's hilarious when Kate says, Oh, I saw Miles. They're treating him well. When the last time we saw Miles was locked, stuffing a grenade down his throat. He, he wasn't. He, he was not being treated well.
0: Okay, that's it for today. Join us next week when we'll be talking about g and Meet Kevin Johnson. You can find me on Twitter at same underscore Morris 9, and you can find Tessa at Suela Tessa. Until next time, rabbit today?
1: We're running out of chickens.
0: This didn't have a number on it, did it?